You're listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast. Here's the deal. If you make disciples by sitting around and talking, you shouldn't be surprised when your disciples sit around and talk and talk and talk. This is the podcast for those weary of just talking and ready to start activating in the mission Jesus gave us to change the world. The Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast, where disciples and disciple makers gather to grow and go together. Here's your host, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Welcome back, dear friends. Good to have you with us today. Remember now, the place for a man, for a woman, completing all their powers is in the fight, in the spiritual fight, in the disciple-making fight. And somewhere right now in the world, we want you to be making disciples of the nation. So stay tuned, stay encouraged. We have a rendezvous with destiny. All right, y'all, lately on the uh, the podcast, we've been doing book palooza. Because uh, we happen to serve a pretty exciting seminary here at Wesley Biblical Seminary, where I teach. And my goodness, there's just a lot of books coming out. And they're all just really profound, really wonderful, really great. Have my friend here with us today. Not only my friend, but he's a president of the school, a gentleman named Matt Ayers, Dr. Matt Ayers. And uh, he's uh, a guy that's a uh, a little bit unusual in so much that he not only does a great job with the presidency. In fact, Wesley Biblical Seminary has risen to whole new levels under his leadership. And uh, boy, a record number of students this semester of all semesters. It's just been incredible. But having said that, uh, he also cranks it out writing. Now, if you're a president, you don't have time to write. And he says, well, but I want to write because... That's my passion. So he teaches, he writes, he administrates, he leads, and is doing all of that very capably and very well. And let me say not not well, it's rather excellent. So, hey, Matt, welcome to the program today. Thanks so very much for being with us. Thank you. Thanks for those kind words. Great to be here. Now, listen, now, you've got a book out. That's what we're interested about today. And that's The Holy Spirit, An Introduction and uh, fascinating stuff. Listen, I've read about half of this thing. I've, I was telling you off the air, and uh, it's what it says on the back is we want this thing to be accessible, which it is, an introductory level. So you don't have to be a rocket scientist uh, theologically to you know be able to uh, maneuver your way through this thing, but also a systematic treatment. So it's to me that means good teaching. So if you think you know a lot about the Holy Spirit, this will help. If you don't know anything about the Holy Spirit, this will help. That's a good book where you can do both of those things at the same time. But let me ask you why a book? Why did you feel a need to write a book about the Holy Spirit? Yeah, um great question. Thank you. And and I was teaching, invited to preach, uh, man, I don't know how long ago it was now, several, several years ago, almost 10 probably, on Pentecost Sunday at a local church. And um, so I just went through the regular process of preparing a sermon on the topic of Pentecost and, um, you know, kind of did the exegetical analysis and pre-sermon prep for Acts chapter 2 and uh, and then preached the sermon. And what I thought was like a pretty standard, right down the middle of the road, you know, biblically rooted sermon on the Holy Spirit, kind of like Holy Spirit 101. And uh, to my kind of astonishment, folks after the service came up to me and said, I've never heard this before. I've never heard anything like that about the Holy Spirit before. Some said, we never talk about the Holy Spirit here. And, and that's, I hope that doesn't come off as a criticism. It's not intended. It's just the observations that people the feedback. And so I'm the last person uh, to want to reinvent the wheel. Um, I've got to be as resourceful as possible in this time of, you know, the management of Wesley Biblical and being a dad and of young kids. 
And so I always just try to recommend to people books to read, right? So they're going, how do we learn more about this? I said, well, let me let me research some books that I can recommend to you. And so I hop on Amazon, I start researching, you know, books on the Holy Spirit. And at that time, there've been books that have come out since then, but I couldn't find what was just a, a basic introduction to the Holy Spirit that was biblically rooted, balanced, and accessible. There are great books. I love Thomas Oden's Life in the Spirit. I think it is like the best pneumatology one can buy, but it's very technical and it's quite advanced it's for seminary students. I couldn't recommend that to you know, your average person in the pew. And so, um, and there were books that are that were pretty, you know, kind of narrowly focused on a particular tradition within Protestantism with regard to a pneumatology or Holy Spirit, uh, whether that's a charismatic uh, perspective or the debate on cessationism versus continuationism. I couldn't find the book. And so I thought, huh, I wonder if, if I could do it, because I'm not a systematic theologian by training, you know, I've engaged plenty of systematic theology just by nature of my calling and being in the academy. And so I just started putting kind of some notes together and and working on it here and there over the years. And eventually I had what I thought was a core of what could be good could be this book, particularly from the Wesleyan holiness tradition, a perspective on the Holy Spirit that was, uh, you know, accessible, biblically rooted, balanced. And I say from the holiness tradition perspective, but I think ecumenical in a lot of ways um, that is uh, accessible for from for anyone, whether you're a Roman Catholic, whether you're Eastern Orthodox or you're Protestant. And so I send it off to um, Seedbed, and Seedbed really uh, was actually looking to publish some things on the Holy Spirit in that season of publication, which is relatively recently. And they said, yeah, let's do this. And so that's that's kind of how it, how it came about. Mm, great stuff. Well, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of E. Stanley Jones, uh, Methodist missionary. And by, by the way, I love the fact that you're not only our president, but uh, that you write books like this because you've spent serious time on the mission field in a serious place on the mission field, 13 years in Haiti, which is just incredible stuff. So I think it gives you a, a bit of a added, uh, I wouldn't say advantage, but a different perspective that you can bring to the, to the table. But one of the things that Stanley Jones said as a missionary is it's missing. It's the missing cord of evangelicalism. It's a missing cord of our faith. We have left out Pentecost. We have left out the Holy Spirit. No, everybody would say, no, we haven't. We believe in the Holy Spirit, but not just intellectually believe. Have we really included the Spirit into our lives? And he would say, just the fact that we don't celebrate Pentecost, really, outside of a sermon or maybe noting that it is Pentecost mm. Sunday, we do nothing. It's nothing like Christmas. It's nothing right. like Easter. And right. he says that's the missing cord. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I would agree with that overall. Um, I think that, um, you know, even in beginning my research for kind of the preparation of writing the book, you come across the phrase a lot that the Holy Spirit is the great, you know, neglected third person of the Trinity and all these sorts of things. Uh, so I think there is a good deal of truth to that. But I think there's also another side uh, to that same coin, and that is that the Holy Spirit, uh, what I talk about quite a bit in the book, is that the Holy Spirit is always pointing us to Jesus and never to himself. Mm -hmm. And so it, Jesus should be getting all the attention. The cross should be getting all the attention because uh, Jesus is the incarnate deity and the Holy Spirit is uh, the invisible, the breath, the wind of God, you know, personal force for sure, or, or a person, a personal deity for sure, third person of the Trinity. But Again, uh, he doesn't point people to himself. He doesn't want the attention. He's not there to glorify himself. He's there to glorify Jesus and bring Jesus into the world. So I think there's something important uh, to be remembered about that fact that I think it's dangerous to overemphasize the Holy Spirit at the uh, 
at the expense of uh of moving Jesus into the background. Jesus has to always be first and foremost, um, not the Holy Spirit. But that said, yes, there is an overall neglect of the Holy Spirit. So has has Pentecostalism or has have the charismatics overemphasized the Holy Spirit? Because I think that's why a lot of other Protestants don't want to deal with it. They've made it their thing. That's not our thing. Yeah, and I think I, I think in some cases for sure, and I, I just want to be really careful about uh, criticizing groups that I've not been a part of or observed from the outside. I think that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I think, yes, they have run the risk of overemphasizing the Holy Spirit. Um, I think that what happens is usually when the Holy Spirit gets overemphasized, um, it is to bring to front the focus on gifts and sign gifts. And, um, and I think that is a part of the witness of the Holy Spirit, I believe, like Scripture says, and Paul says in particular, that the gift of the Holy Spirit is for the sake of building up and expanding the church, and that he endows us with these supernatural abilities to build up, encourage, strengthen, and expand, and grow the church. Um, and, and different people have emphases on different gifts. We're all called to do evangelism, but some people really have the gift of evangelism. We're all called to make disciples. I think some people have the gift of teaching and administration, so on and so forth. I think uh, what we have to be careful about when we focus on gifts is that gifts are only like part B of the package. Part A is righteousness and holiness. And so when Jesus says, uh, you know, stay in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit's going to come and uh, you'll be, be you'll be given power to be my witnesses, right? Power to be my witnesses. What I, when I read that in light of the broader witness of scripture, I don't, when I hear power to be witnesses, I don't think sign gifts first and foremost. I think that's a part of it. I think first and foremost, being empowered to be a witness of Jesus is being empowered to have a transformed, holy, righteous life. That's the witness. You know, uh, the, the world can watch you heal people, cast out demons. They watched Jesus do those things and still killed him, right? Uh, but what they couldn't deny was his righteousness and holiness. And so, when I hear Jesus say, be my witnesses, my first thought is, be holy as I'm holy. Have the love of God, die for your enemies. And I think that's where the emphasis needs to fall, because I think that's the emphasis of Scripture. Um, yeah. So you're listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast with Matt Friedman. Today, we're with Matt Ayers, and we're talking about his book, The Holy Spirit, and Introduction. And again, it's supposed to be accessible. It is. It's supposed to be introductory. It is, but it also is deep, and I think you'll love it. You'll grow no matter how much knowledge you think you have about the Holy Spirit. It's a good systematic treatment. And uh, Matt, what happens to a movement? What happens to a Christianity that just doesn't talk about, doesn't think about, doesn't know about the Holy Spirit? Well, um, we can look at history, I think, and answer that question. We can look at Scripture and answer that question. Acts 19 in particular, you know, have the, the believers who received John's baptism, but not had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I think what happens is we get a, a movement uh, with the, um, how does Paul put it, uh, the reputation of being godly, but lacking the power. Mm. And, I, I, and I think too, that what happens is we, we slip into a mode of defeatism. And what I mean by that is, well, um, uh, God has not said everything right yet. We're just going to have to wait until Jesus comes back. Therefore, I'll always be enslaved to sin. I'll always be a sinner. I'm, 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 I'm a first-class sinner. 
it's like, ah, you got to be careful with that stuff because, uh, you know, I do believe that there's parts of the kingdom that haven't come yet, like bodily resurrection, glorification, um, you know, a, a corruptionless uh, uh, created order, new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem, all those sorts of things. But we do have victory now. We have victory over the guilt of sin and over the power of sinning. Um, and I think that that's what happens when we lose the focus on the Holy Spirit is that we slip into this defeatist mode. When there is power available to us now uh, because of the doctrine of regeneration and sanctification to live a life victorious over the power of sin, mm. not just the guilt of sin, but the power of sin. If you had to say a, a finger, one thing that that you really wish people knew about the Holy Spirit that they don't seem to know, or at least we're not articulating well these days, what would that thing be? Um, that thing would probably be, it depends on the day of the week that you ask me, but that thing would probably be, um, can I say two things? Because <laughs> We'll allow you the latitude, yeah. <laughs> they're, and they're related. Um, the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. He brings Jesus into the world. He brings the incarnate deity to us. He makes God's presence real. He reveals uh, the great, you know, holy, transcendent other creator by conceiving Jesus in the womb of Mary, bringing Mary, bringing Jesus to the world. And then, of course, leading Jesus, empowering, he led Jesus out into the wilderness where he was tempted. He uh, empowered Jesus to be obedient, obedient unto death. So uh, even on uh, death on a cross, um, he resurrected Jesus's body. And so the Holy Spirit is always glorifying Jesus. He's always bringing uh, the Redeemer to a broken world in desperate need of redemption. Well, that's still what he's doing. It didn't just happen in the first century. It's happening now, but he's bringing Jesus to the world through the church, through the sanctification of the church. He's still birthing Jesus in the womb of the church. That's what I mean when I say uh, the Holy Spirit through gifts strengthens and enables or and grows the church. Mary is a, a real historical person, obviously, but she's also a symbol in the book of Revelation in chapter 12 for the church, the church that brings Jesus, births Jesus. The Holy Spirit is still bringing Jesus to the world, but he's doing it through Matt Friedemann, and he's doing it through Wesley Biblical Seminary, and he does that by conforming us to the image of Jesus, where we are his image bearers, the image of God restored. And so I feel like the emphasis on the Holy Spirit, especially in the Protestant tradition, has too often fallen on the Holy Spirit's role with sign gifts, whether or not we're continuing. Does the Holy Spirit still enable, you know, uh, 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 prophecy, healing, words of discernment? And like, I think that conversation, it's important. But the more important thing about what the Holy Spirit does is he brings the holy love of God to the world by glorifying Jesus, just as he did back then. He's doing it today. But but he does it through the church. So mm. that's the that's the first thing I would say. And what I'm talking about is conforming to the moral image of Christ, being holy as he was holy, loving our enemies unto death, et cetera. And I think the second thing that I would say I, I would really want to put my finger on is this. Um, and 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 bear with me as I explain this. It's not going to be you know too verbose, but um, one of the incommunicable attributes of God um, is that he's immutable. He doesn't change. He's also, and this includes the Holy Spirit, impassable, uh, which means he doesn't suffer. And 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 that that word impassable, the fact that God doesn't suffer, it doesn't mean what it sounds like it means um, at first gloss, right? What it means is that um, God's character cannot be changed 
because of action from an outside force. Like his love is chesed. It is steadfast. There's nothing that Matt Friedman can do uh, to make God love him less or love him more. Human love, uh, to the contrary, waxes and wanes, right? We fall in love. We see that beautiful young girl. We get engaged, get married. And then uh, some would say that after marriage, love may wane a little bit, but it, it's it's waxing while we're courting and dating. And, you know, so, and then something may happen in this, let's say even a friendship, someone does something, they betray you and your love for that friend may wane. Or someone does something for you, gives you a gift, serves you, helps you move, whatever it may be, uh, you know, get you a meal train for after you had surgery, whatever it looks like. And your love for them waxes. Like we as humans are active upon by external forces. God isn't. He is steady. His love is steadfast. It is is a different kind of love. Mm. And and I would say what I want to put my finger on in light of that is that when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which I understand to be um, at the point of conversion, I understand there's different views on this, whether that's a second work of grace. I do believe in a second work of grace, but without getting into that debate, when we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive that holy love. It's not a human love that we receive that waxes and wanes. We receive the gift of a divine holy love that is steady, which is like, how do I possibly love my enemies when they continue the same way Jesus did with the help of the Holy Spirit? And so I'm saying this to suggest that um, to suggest really the Wesleyan emphasis on what we call entire sanctification, holy perfect. The Holy Spirit doesn't give us an imperfect love because he, he he doesn't do that. That's outside of his character. He shares with us the divine love that's shared between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's hesed, that Hebrew word, that steadfast love that doesn't wax or wane. He gives us that love for God first, and he gives us that love for one another. The same way the perfect righteousness of Christ is imputed given to as a gift to believers through faith that's enabled by the Holy Spirit, justifying faith. So he gives us the perfect love that is exchanged in the inner life of the Trinity. And so um, so I think that's the other thing that I would emphasize is that when we become Christians, God doesn't give us some imperfect, faulty, crooked, waxing and waning love. He gives us his love that mm. we extend back to him and we share with one another. Who in Christian history got this right? I mean, who in Christianity got the Holy Spirit right? And how can you tell they got it right? <laughs> well, Jesus got it right. <laughs> I know that's the the easy answer. I don't know. That's that's a hard question because we say when we say got it right, I think that there's like doctrinally we can talk about getting it right. Um, and again, I think Thomas Odin as a theologian just nails it. I think Thomas Torrance also really does a wonderful job. The mm. Eastern Orthodox tradition, I think, does wonderfully with Christology. I think with the Holy Spirit, um, th there's a, a we need a little bit more there than what they're offering. Um, I could be wrong about that. Again, this is my opinion. Um, it, you know, so who got it? And I think we could list any number of, you know, as we'd say, saints that, that got it right. You could talk. And, and, but the question is, how do we know? What's the, what's the measuring rod when I'm naming these people, you know, if we say, well, did John Calvin get it right? Did John Wesley get it right? Did St. Augustine get it right? Did, did, did mother Teresa get it right? Does the Pope get it right? Um, does, uh, Francis Chan get it right? I'm trying to think of popular names, right? The listeners, what, and, and, and how do we know? Um, I think the measuring rod is that steadfast love for God and that manifests in the form of 
uh, complete steady obedience. I think C.S. Lewis got it right too, by the way, complete steady obedience and service to the world. That is evidence of that steadfast love. Um, C.S. Lewis, last last bit here. C.S. Lewis said in the screw tape letters, um, my dear Wormwood, right? He's writing to his, his demon understudy. Uh, our, our cause is no more lost. It, we have no hope for, for pulling this person away from Jesus. In other words, they've arrived. You might as well give up. Our cause is no more lost when the subject can not see, hear, or feel God, and there's no evidence, no shred of evidence whatsoever anywhere around him, yet he still obeys, right? And to me, that's the person who's God. It's that steadfast love, that life that's poured out and that is not uh, conditional on reciprocity, right? Mm. No matter what, the love is there. So I asked you a Christian history, Chris, this, this is a little bit different because I know you've traveled a lot and I know right. you've been at a different place in the world and you've served in a different place in the world for well over a decade. Uh, so geographically, who tends to be getting it? And I wonder, I, I don't know. I'm, I, I don't know the answer to that question, but I think Thomas Oden would say the South. Now, not, not the South as in you like know, the global South, the global South is getting it. Um, I don't know if that's what he'd say. It seems like that's where a good bit of his writing late in his life was taking him. What would you say geographically, where are they getting it right? This, this whole understanding and, and this experience of the Holy spirit. Uh, I would say wherever the church is most persecuted, those are oh. the ones who are, who are getting it the most right. And, and I don't say that as like a, a kitschy, you know, answer. What I mean by that is it is those who are completely obedient. And so when I say, I said a moment ago, love, 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 I, I'm talking about love is manifest in obedience. So those who are completely obedient to Jesus are those who are the biggest threat to the powers of darkness. And those are the ones that the powers of darkness are going to go after. Those are the ones who are going to be persecuted. So the places in the world that experience the highest level of Christian persecution uh, to me, is how those are the places and those are the people who are getting it right. This is the Life Changing Discipleship Podcast with Matt Friedman. We're here today with Matt Ayers. Uh, Dr. Ayers has written the book, The Holy Spirit and Introduction. Of course, he's the president of Wesley Biblical Seminary. Listen, Wesley Biblical Seminary helps support this program. And so we want to say thank you to the president here for helping support this program. But I would like to give you an opportunity to give a little commercial for the seminary right now. We lose you say something about the seminary every time out. So two minutes, just a rock and roll on the seminary here. Yeah. Thanks for that. Uh, man, Wesley biblical seminary, so much to say. I say the big things are wrapped up in the the title, the, the name of our school, Wesley. Uh, we don't just study, uh, Wesley as historians and seek to understand him in his context. We actually believe what he taught. Uh, in terms of uh, Christian perfection, being a perfected heart, some of these things that I'm talking about now, perfect obedience. I don't, <laughs> I don't. For those who may not be familiar, or may be cautious about this doctrine. I don't mean sinlessness. That hey, I, I experienced a second work of grace in 1989. I went down to the altar and I have not sinned since. Uh, that's not per se what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is being completely abandoned to Jesus, ready to obey. Um, and so we we don't just study Wesley. We don't just love Wesley. We are followers of Wesley as Wesley followed Jesus. We, we, we share in his belief and the emphasis on uh, the mature life of the Christian, complete obedience. Okay. Uh, and so uh, biblical, Wesley, biblical seminary, so there's Wesley, and then there's the biblical piece. Most seminaries are theological seminaries. We're a biblical seminary. That doesn't mean that we don't teach theology or systematic theology, historical theology, dogmatics, pragmatics, all that kind of stuff. We do teach those things. 
Um, however, uh, we always want to put the emphasis on scripture. Now I understand those highfalutin academic theologians would say, well, there's, there's, that's a false dichotomy. You can't separate doctrine and scripture. And I know what those sort of folks mean by that. And I don't disagree with them altogether, but I think that a lot of the crises that we see in this post enlightenment, post Christian world, especially in America, um, is the result of a, uh, lessening, uh, of the, the, the notions of the inspiration and authority of Scripture. We have a high view of Scripture at Wesley Biblical Seminary. We study the Scripture as an act of worship. We believe that the Scriptures are inspired, therefore authoritative, therefore inerrant, that is truthful, reliable, not just with regard to things uh, related to salvation, but with everything that it talks about. Um, we believe they're sufficient. We believe that they're unified. We believe that the message of the text is clear with those who read it with the help of the Holy Spirit, seeking to love and obey God. And so we are un, we put this in the name of the school and we emphasize this uh, to communicate um, our high view of scripture. Some would say, accuse us of, well, you're, you're, uh, you're idolaters, you're worshiping the Bible itself. And I would say, by all means, no. <laughs> by by no means. We believe that the Bible is what the Bible presents itself to be, which is the inspired Word of God. And we believe it because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, we we have a long continuum of opportunities here, Matt, and uh, you know that because some of them you offer personally. Uh, we have Wesley Institute for the layman. They can come in. You can go to wbs.edu and check out all these programs, but Wesley Institute for layman, and it's a great thing to get in on. Uh, we cover the Bible in a year. That's the first year. If you want to take a second year, we cover theology in the second year. Wonderful. Marvelous. I mean, people are singing the praises of it. And of course, we have classes and every class can be taken by an auditor. So anybody can just jump in. And Matt, you are teaching, I believe, Psalms this semester. And of course, I don't know when people will listen to this podcast, but you always seem to be teaching something. Uh, so you, people can plug in that way. We've got a college now that people can uh, can take advantage of. We've got MA degrees, MDiv degrees, and we even have a doctorate, uh, a D-men program. Lots of ways to plug in. Go to wbs.edu to find out more about these things. Matt, I want to follow up with some more questions, and we're talking about it. Matt Ayer's book, we need for you to go to, um, I don't know, you can go, I guess you can go to Amazon.com if you wanted to. Just type in The Holy Spirit by Matt Ayers. It'll pop right up for you, and we highly recommend this book. We think you will love it. You, One of the things you cover a lot in your career and you have had lots of experience with is spiritual warfare. Talk to us about the Holy Spirit and spiritual warfare. Yeah, it relates up to uh, some previous comment I made. Uh, the more resolute we are to obey God and love God, the more we will invoke persecution. So one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in the life of the church is not just ignite and empower our obedience and our perfect love of God and love of others, uh, but it also ignites our commitment to the advancement of the church and the spreading of the word of God. That will always invoke the powers of darkness to fight against it because they don't want to yield uh, their territory over that has been claimed uh, for Jesus. And so another thing the Holy Spirit does is protect protects, comforts, uh, and strengthens the church as we face spiritual warfare as a result of persecution because of being effective for the gospel. Um, I will say that there are three levels of spiritual warfare. There's the cosmic level. That's the fighting that happens at the level we don't see between uh, good angels and bad angels, right? We don't focus too much on that because the Bible doesn't focus too much on that. That's a little bit in there. And the second level is against the unredeemed. And the, the whole aim of the powers of darkness and fighting against those who are not saved is to keep them from becoming saved. 
Mm. And uh, the third level is against the redeemed, the church. And the whole aim of the powers of darkness and fighting against the church is to keep Christians from being effective for the gospel. So what I just talked about was obedience invoking persecution. But there's another level against the unredeemed. Uh, the Holy Spirit is always drawing people to himself based on the, the prevenient grace poured out at Calvary on the cross. And uh, the powers of darkness then uh, do all they can to deceive and prevent the individual from being drawn by the Holy Spirit. And um, the reason why we have such hard hearts is because we live according to the lie of Genesis 3. God doesn't love you and he's not trustworthy. Well, the Holy Spirit comes along and dispels that lie and says, no, he does love you and he is trustworthy. Look at the cross. So the Holy Spirit deconstructs that lie by pointing to Jesus, pointing to cross. While we we're still sinners, he died for us because he loves us. And then, of course, the powers of darkness, like in the garden, are always lying to the individual, lying to us, saying, no, 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 you can't let Did God, did the Holy Spirit really say that Jesus died for you? He, Jesus is not even a real historical figure. It's a guy that they made up. Oh no, but he is. Yeah. Okay. So he did live, but that's not, you know, they, they kind of conditioned the new Testament wrote it. It's not really what happened. It's revisionist history. Right. And so that's the, the powers of darkness that work preventing someone from dr being drawn by the Holy spirit to hear this message that God does in fact, love us and want our best. All right, folks, go, wherever they sell books, you need to go. Amazon.com is one of the places, but Matt Ayers, The Holy Spirit, and Introduction. You're going to love this volume. Again, on the back, it says accessible, introductory, systematic, and I don't care where you're at, how much you think you know about the Holy Spirit or how little you think you know, you're going to be uh, blessed by this book. And uh, hey, listen, Matt, it's a privilege to have you as our president. And I'll say for a number of reasons, not the least of which, you're a president that doesn't just administrate, doesn't just lead, but you have a passion for teaching. You have a passion for writing. That just makes us better around here. So I want to thank you for that. Hey, listen, I, I really appreciate it. All the credit goes to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, everything I'm, <laughs> where any of us are able to do. You can do nothing apart from me, <laughs> right? And so it's all, to all, all to his credit is just a great privilege and honor to be allowed, permitted to be a part of it by his grace. All right, it's been an honor to have you listen to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast with Matt Friedman. Always, always tell others about this podcast. And remember, my wife thanks you, my daughter thanks you, my sons and their wives thank you. And I can assure you that I thank you for listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast today. Love God, live clean, keep the faith, make disciples, and God bless you, dear friends. We'll see you back here real soon. Mm -hmm.